0: Listen to these words from the psalmist that are the perfect thanksgiving call to worship. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of his house, in the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. May we give thanks, may we pour out our lives in gratitude for who God is and what God has done for us. Lord, we bring our lives to you. We bring these pledges to you of hand and heart. We bring to you what you have poured into us, every thought, every word, every experience. We thank you for the way you have healed us, the way you have blessed us throughout this year and in all the years of our lives and how you always bless us that whether we have breath or not, you will fulfill in us and through us what you intend to have happen for us and for your kingdom, as you use us as your vessel. So take now, Lord, what we have to bring. Take it all, everything. Lord, we love you so much. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have been blessed this year, haven't we? And every year. Think of all that we have been through. I think about our our dear friend Karen facing cancer this year and sitting here playing music for us and leading us in worship. I think about the many ways in which God has walked us through difficult times, and we praise him. And so we turn to God's word because it's God's word that, that prompts us to see just how faithful God is. And this morning, we take a break for one last week before we finish My Heart, Christ's Home, and we, we look at the letter to the Hebrews and how God has shown us his faithfulness across the ages. I hope you'll turn in your Bibles with me and we'll look at this roll call of the faithful, God's hall of fame, if you will. And how we are part of that experience and that descendant promise of God's faith. Listen as I read for us from Hebrews chapter eleven and into the twelfth chapter. And I'm going to back up just a few verses to verse twenty-three to give you the fuller story of this. Listen to God's word. Hebrews eleven twenty-three through twelve, one and two. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Messiah, the Christ, to be greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, these people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. By faith, when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish, and may I add, became Jesus' great-great-aunt. Did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies, God's people, in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept Release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two, the prophet Isaiah. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect or whole, complete. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All who have gone before us and clung to God's promise. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the completer, of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God bless this roll call and call us through the power of his Holy Spirit to remind us that we are part of that great cloud of witnesses as we look to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, more than welcome. We invite you, and we thank you, our Father, that your good news comes now to us. And we pray that it would come and take us captive, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our Redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of our pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pretty powerful passage, isn't it? Wow. It has so much to say to us. This passage reminds us that we as Christians are a traveling people. We are on the move. The reality is this place is not our home. Our true home is beyond this place. A reward that we will receive because God has been faithful. And as such, we travel by faith that is generated by gratitude. Faith that is generated by gratitude for what really matters. And that that gratitude shows us what really matters as the faith is poured into us through God's Holy Spirit. And that is simply this, that we have been assured, that we have been assured. Look at the cross. There's the mark of assurance. That we have been assured of an eternal promise that exceeds anything in this world or this life. Any relationship, any material blessing even, no matter how good it may be, or how righteous it may be, that we have been assured that there is something greater yet to come. As I asked in my newsletter article this month, the most essential question we have to face is, do we want to be grateful for what God has done? Do we want to be grateful for what God has given in his own son, Jesus Christ? You all know the story of the woman who called her pastor over to prepare for her memorial service. She knew she was departing. Rick, I think about how Gracia was so faithful in that way. She was ready. And so was this woman and she said, I, I want you to make sure that I have a fork in my hand. He said, what in the world for? He, he said, well, She said, well, you know, I, I've been going to these church dinners like today for a long time. And if they they say keep your spoon, you know you're going to get some sort of wimpy dessert. But if if they say keep your fork, you know you're getting homemade dessert. You're getting pie or cake or something great. And so I want people to know the best is yet to come. And that's our testimony as those who belong to Jesus Christ. The best is yet to come. Wow. Do we want to be grateful for what God has done? The reason this is so important is because if we aren't learning about this kind of Thanksgiving, guess what? We will never be whole. We will never know what perfection, completion is because we will be looking for it in some shadowy way that is represented in this world. God says, No, I have something more. Hold on to me. Even to your dying breath, if it feels like it hasn't come, don't worry. The best is yet to come. I've got it, and I've got you. That's the question. Am I grateful that no matter what is going on, no matter what the adversity is, thank you, Alan, for that word today, the best is yet to come. I can praise him. I can thank him. I can say, Lord, fulfill in me no matter what it takes to bring about your glory. This is what the writer to the Hebrews was describing in this roll call of the faithful. People who did not seek hope in this world, or even in this life. But in gratitude they moved on, waiting for that which is unseen." This whole chapter begins with these words, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. We are a people who see the invisible, believe in the eternal. As an old mystic, Meister Eckhart once said, A Dean, you'll love this. If, if the only prayer we ever prayed was thank you, that would be enough. Because our prayer would be thank you, Lord, that I have who you are and what you have done. And when our hearts are fixed on the promises of God. How many of you know that old hymn, standing on the promises of Christ my King? There you go when our hearts are fixed on that, we will be able to have an attitude of gratitude in the most difficult times in all the journeys of our lives. You notice our scripture does not talk about an incident or a moment of faith, but rather a life of faith. A life of faith that comes from being grateful that the one thing that is needed has already been given. The thing we need most is already assured. It's ours. It's in our hearts. It's in our hands. That is what those whose hope is in God's faithfulness will discover again and again and again, that our greatest need was taken care of a long time ago, just outside the walls of Jerusalem on a hill on a cross and that what we can be thankful for because of that is up ahead of us. I think sadly, many inside the church don't get this. Because they are missing the same thing, those outside the church are missing. They don't know who and whose they are. They do not know who the giver is. And most often this is because you know why? We're too busy to say thank you with our lives and to entrust our lives to a statement of gratitude to God, no matter what's going on. And when we miss this, we miss everything. It doesn't matter if you get to go to the head of the line at Disneyland. It doesn't matter if you win the lottery. It doesn't matter if you win the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes keep sending that envelope in, they never come. Doesn't matter. None of that's going to do what God has already done. And so ours is to say, thank you, Lord. I trust you. I believe you. I see what you've done in Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world has done or can do will be what you can give me. (laughs) Writer Annie Dillard captures this in her book. I recommend it to you. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. She had a sabbatical from uh, Wesleyan University and she spent a year on Tinker Creek just watching and listening. We are pilgrims. We are pilgrims at the creek of God's faithfulness. Like those in this passage. Like those at Plymouth Rock at the first Thanksgiving. Who need to know who and whose we are in order to know what the real treasure is. And it is only as we're listening that we will experience that. We'll only know our treasure then. And Dillard writes of learning to watch. She said, I love this. I I, I remembered this, and I think I picked up on it because it's always been important to me. She said, poor indeed, poor indeed is the person too rich to stop and pick up a penny off the ground. Poor indeed is the person too rich to stop and pick up a penny off the ground. Those of you who are of a certain age are still picking up pennies, but some of us have gotten to the point where we go, what, doesn't matter. The government's even talking about doing away with the penny and, and telling people it doesn't matter. You don't, you don't need to have your change just too, so right. Poor indeed, she says, is the person is, who is too rich to stop, to stop and pick up a penny. She says that it is not just the penny, but rather the willingness to stop and be grateful for the grace that is poured out at our feet. The willingness to to not just see that as a a penny on the ground, but what else is going to be there? She says the greater treasure comes from what we discover when we look beyond what is taking place. What is it that I found when I saw that penny over there and I stopped to, to turn aside and go pick up the penny? something else happens. Here's an example. A Mr. Otha Anders of Louisiana spent 45 years stooping down to pick up pennies, something most of us ignore. In October of 2015, so just two years ago, Mr. Anders was 73. He had been a supervisor for in-school suspended children. How'd you like that one, Professor? Forty-five years he did this. He took these pennies to his local bank. He took the pennies in 15 five-gallon jugs. It deposited a grand total of 5,000 $163.14, all in pennies. It took the, the bank's coin machines five hours to count all the pennies. But what's really moving about this story isn't his thriftiness, it's in his thankfulness. I mean, after all, he could have been turning, I mean, from our physical standpoint, he should have been turning those in all the time and getting interest, right? No, no. What's really powerful is his thankfulness. Each new penny on the ground served to prompt as a thanks to God. And every single one of those was a prayer. And he says this, I became convinced that spotting a lost or dropped penny was an additional God-given incentive reminding me to always be thankful. Remember what he did for a living? Looking after suspended kids who were having to stay after school, and they were those pennies. Each one of them was one that he stopped and said, Lord, thank you for this kid who's having a hard time and who's rebellious and angry. He says, there have been days when I failed to pray, and more often than not, a lost or a dropped penny would would show up to remind me. And those children and those pennies were just that. Mr. Anders counted it joy counted it joy to take time for the pennies God placed in his path. And I think there's the question. Do we want to be thankful? Do we want to be thankful for those little tiny things that seem so insignificant and that we could so easily overlook, even the hard stuff? Or do we say, Lord, this is you talking to me? The writer of the Hebrews says, The one, the one who counted it most precious to make time for you, and for me, it was Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. And most essentially, Jesus gave more than time. He gave thanks for the opportunity to do what? Give his life for us. Those who wait on the Lord stop for pennies and give thanks. The scripture says we are surrounded by those who wait for God and give thanks. Do you know how we learn to have a heart that wants to be grateful for what matters, we listen all the time. We pick up pennies and look at what has been given. Here's the scripture. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. That's how we do it. Not looking inward, but looking outward to who Jesus is and what he's called us and invited us and gifted us to get to do. To have a grateful heart, is to learn to be like Jesus. To have a grateful heart is to learn to live like Jesus for the joy that was set before him. Alan talked today about adversities, for the joy of those adversities. I read of a man who gave some wise words on how to have this attitude of joy in the midst of adversity recently. He said, read God's word every day give thanks for blessings every day. Every day. Embrace gratitude. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. He said, it is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. It is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. He said, I pray that you put your slippers under your bed that way at night so when you wake up in the morning You have to start on your knees to find them. (laughs) And while you're down there, he said, say thank you. He says a bad attitude is like a flat tire. Until you change it, you're not going anywhere. Did a great theologian or pastor write these words? No. In fact, it was a man who faces the cultural compromise to do just the opposite of giving thanks to God every day. Every time he goes to work, the man's name? Denzel Washington. Yeah, the movie star. This is what he says you got to do. He knows what we all need to know about having a grateful heart. We need to be on our knees surrendering our attitude to him, our bad attitude to him so that our grateful attitude it can be replaced with that grateful heart. We have to be on our knees surrendering that so that ours can be one that reflects Jesus' joy in us, showing up for other people, because that's what people need to see. God's people are ones who have grateful hearts, because they accept that though life may not always go the way you want it to go, it will always go God's way. Boy, Rick, you learned that one this week. Yeah. Always goes God's way. We all learned that. But are we listening? Are we watching? Are we saying thank you? Lord, it's going your way. When it's it's hard, when it's painful. Lord, it's going your way. You're in charge. You've got it. See, it's out of realizing this that God's way is the best way for us that we find grateful hearts because we're not looking at the circumstance. We're looking at the one who's in charge of all the circumstance. See, to endure the cross of Jesus is to let him show us what matters through his filter, not our filter. New York Times columnist uh, David Brooks notes what we all need to learn about thankfulness. He said, sometimes I'm grumpier when I stay at a nicer hotel. What? He says, I have certain expectations about what the the service should be that would be provided. I get impatient if I have to crawl around looking for a power outlet for my computer. If the shower controls are unfathomable, if the place considers it too fancy to put a coffee machine in every room, I'm sometimes happier at the Motel 6 where my expectations are lower and where the functioning iron is a bonus and the waffle maker in the breakfast area is a treat. Huh? He says, this little phenomenon shows how powerfully expectations structure our moods and emotions, none more so than the beautiful emotion of gratitude. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds our expectations, when it is undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes about after some surprising kindness. My friends, Jesus was born in a barn. He died on a cross. We've got things all mixed up. Our greatest gift comes through what the world sees as the, the greatest show of weakness. The gospel calls us to be just the opposite of the world. Do you realize where the greatest investment is that this body has made? A friend of mine, Pastor Jim Rao, thought about this as they were building their sanctuary. Do you know the greatest investment we have? $2.1 million right here. We use it once a week. Does that make sense? By the world's standards? No. But God says, you invest in me in worship, and everything else will make sense. Jesus lived the life of ultimate gratitude because he got to pour out his life for those who did not deserve it and didn't even know they needed it because he got to give up his life for you and me so that we could be with God forever. Does it make sense for God to pay the price of his own son for people that would be ignoring and resisting what he's done? No, it doesn't make sense. But that's the economy of the gospel. We spend lavishly on what God calls us to spend, and God gets all the glory, and that's all that matters. Jesus Christ left the Hilton of heaven to enter the Motel 6 of our world, joyfully, gratefully, so that we would know what really matters. And you know what that is? Belonging to Him, body and soul, in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is from this that we understand what it really means to be grateful for the turkey and the, and the dressing and the pie that we're about to eat. Say amen, yes. Yeah, but more than that, so much more than that, for what he's poured into us, and it is from this that we don't need to be right on the world's standards. We don't need to win the argument. He alone can make us right. He alone can win the argument. He alone can win the debate, and he already has. When he said, very simply, from the cross, what? It is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. Come to the table. Come, let me feed you. We don't need to win. No amount of winning on the world's terms will give us what Jesus Christ has already given us. In fact, as we celebrate getting to be God's ambassadors of gratitude, we can realize we've been set free. We're already free. Our deal is already done. And we get to go Not with the world, but with Him showing that we don't need anything but what He has given. And that's what the world needs to see. Sometimes we will do this by inviting someone to a turkey dinner. If you're having one at your home this week, think of who isn't. Invite them there. They don't need to go to the Nugget. They need to come to your house. Sometimes it will be by saying to someone, I'm sorry. I blew it. I failed. To understand please forgive me sometimes we will share how grateful we are by giving someone our heart with tears because we r- look into their hearts and feel what they're feeling or by vulnerability and telling our own story or listening to theirs or by forgiveness or listening or something that they need or receiving from them something they need to give you see gratitude at its core has the word grace. Gratitude at its core is the word grace. Something that cannot be earned or purchased ever, no matter what we do. Gratitude changes everything. Because grace changes everything and when we are grateful for what Jesus Christ has done, the hardest times will become the times we are made most complete. All we can do, all we can do is say thank you. Let's say it. Thank you. Thank you. Today is the day to let God's grace set us free as we give ourselves and all that we are away for him and for what he desires. May this happen to us and through us for his glory. And may every day be a thank you day. Amen. Thank you, Father, for sending your own Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for breathing the need into our hearts for that great gift. And thank you that we get to share that with a world that is so starving and hungry and hurting. Thank you for being able to abandon anything less in order to take hold of the wonder of belonging to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, my friends, as we go from this place, we're going down that hallway. All right. But remember, whether we go down that hallway or out onto the streets, no matter where we are, we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it. And go, therefore, with joy as a great cloud of witnesses in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.